It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks for being with us. Paul Dottino and John Schmelk with you. Our phone number is 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. You can also find us on Twitter at hashtag GiantsChat, and you'll always be able to find an archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcasts. But before we get to your phone calls and discuss what you guys would like to talk about regarding the world of the New York Giants, we welcome in a very special guest from Inside Football. She covers the Giants for SI.com and also wrote the Big 50 New York Giants book uh patty trainer and we welcome her in right now hello patty hi how are you doing very well thank you very nice of you to join us this morning and one of the reasons that we wanted to speak with you today uh we all know that you're a salary cap specialist and a salary cap guru you do a great job uh, of, of studying the numbers and the contracts and we've had a lot of folks ask us during this offseason if the Giants have any more room to potentially add somebody else to the roster. Now, look, I think you and I have talked off the air enough to know that there's really not much wiggle room here, although there's always a way to do it if you really want to. Uh, they did add a couple of veterans in Kelvin Benjamin, the wide receiver slash tight end, and running back Corey Clement just this past week during the rookie minicamp. Quite frankly, I was a little bit surprised that they did, but they did, and I'm sure those are for minimum deals. But as you see it now, is there much wiggle room if they did want to grab somebody who might pop free over the next few months? There might be a little bit, and we're talking the next few months. you got to remember that as the Giants start to trim down the roster, right now they're at 90, and we're currently in the top 51 period, which means only the top 51 salary cap numbers count against the cap, which is why the teams obviously are able to accommodate 90 players. So I think as you see guys get released, um, turning the bottom of the roster and whatnot, you're going to see numbers that start to swap out, and the, and the cap is going to be very fluid over the next you know, several weeks, a uh, couple months, until we get into the season when it'll start to settle down a little bit. So that's where I think you're going to see some wiggle room if, say, for example, um, late in the summer the Giants want to add a veteran who shakes loose from another team or if they want to, I don't know, acquire somebody by a trade or something like that. How surprised were you that the two veterans got signed after coming in for tryouts this past week? I wasn't so much surprised that Corey Clement got signed because um, we've spoken about how the Giants at the running back position a little bit thin there. Um, you know, Saquon Barkley, fingers crossed, everything works out fine. He comes back, he's as good as new, and he's able to do everything 100% green lighted week one. Realistically, though, you have to be prepared in case that doesn't happen. You know, right now, head coach Joe Judge, he's unable to give every, anybody any kind of timetable to say, oh, yes, we'll definitely have Saquon ready for the starter training camp, for example. So you have to have backup depth. And right now, their only experienced backup 
with Devonta Booker, who they signed in the offseason, who can be in every down back. So by adding Corey Clemente, now they just added to uh, the depth at that position. They have some more experience to go along with Gary Brightwell, who they, you know, who's a rookie, one of the six-round draft picks. So they definitely needed to add to that spot. I was surprised, though, with Benjamin. And in thinking about it, you know, because the, the Giants are loaded at receiver. They're kind of stacked at tight end. So I don't want to say that it was a pity signing. That's not fair to the player. But it is an opportunity for Kelvin Benjamin, who apparently wants to restart his career, to put together some fresh tape to kind of, you know, show teams around the league, if it's not the Giants, maybe other teams that, hey, you know, I'm ready to take this seriously. I'm ready to be a part of a team. You know, his, his uh, back in 2018 when his tenure ended, from what I understand, it didn't end on the best of notes, but um, it's a fresh start for him. And who knows, he might even end up on the Giants practice squad where he'll continue to develop. Well, we don't know exactly what the practice squad rules are going to be this year. We know during the pandemic last year they expanded it. They had reserve lists. They also had a number of veterans that were allowed on that squad. And it remains to be seen if the league is going to do something similar this summer. But the tight end position as it stands now with Rudolph and Ingram as your top two, and then Caden Smith and Levine Toilolo, uh, Patty, I, I don't know if Benjamin could beat out one of those other two guys for the third and fourth spot. Now, you mentioned the wide receiver's uh, room is very stacked. I don't see any way that Benjamin can beat out the wide receivers on this team. They just have too much depth there. So it seems to me he's either going to have to make it as a tight end or he doesn't make it. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Paul, because, you know, they are stacked. But, you know, and then here's the other thing with tight ends that I didn't mention. You have um, Kyle Rudolph, who's coming off of foot surgery. So, you know, he should be okay. He has said he'll be okay for the start of things. But did he mean the start of training camp? Did he mean the start of the season? That was a little unclear. But here's the other thing with Kelvin Benjamin. You know, it it takes a, a little bit different skill set to block in line and do some of the things that a tight end does versus a wide receiver who's out in space. So the Giants feel that he has the size. They feel that he has the, the tools to, to make that conversion, apparently. And, you know, why not try it out? It's a low-risk, high-reward type of scenario. You know, if it works out and, you know, God forbid, you know, Kyle Rudolph isn't ready or, God forbid, Evan Ingram or Levine Tololo or Caden Smith get injured during the summer, now maybe you have a, a guy who can step in and, and fill in for them. As it stands now, the OTAs have begun. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network said there were about 40 players or so for the Giants who did report. Joe Judge has said the guys who are here, he will work with. The guys who are not here because of the uh, labor union, obviously advising folks to stay away, he will uh, undergo virtual training with like they did during the course of last summer. Uh, what would be your thoughts as to how Judge is able to deal with this during his second season as the Giants head coach? Last year, I think it was very admirable. As a rookie, he was able to navigate those waters very well. Yeah, he definitely was. And, you know, he took everything slowly. He didn't push anybody, which is good. You know, obviously, first-year head coach, maybe your inclination is to hit the ground running and, and go 100 miles an hour. And he, he took it slowly. He didn't put those players, you know, tax those players to where there were a lot of training camp injuries and whatnot. 
I think this year now it's an opportunity for them to, to work on what they started last year, you know, get some of the new guys also into the fold, but also maybe now having some of these guys in person, that will allow them to hit the ground running a little quicker when they do report to training camp. As it stands now, what is your biggest question as they go into the veteran mandatory mini camp coming up in, I guess it's only a few weeks now, I guess uh, June the 8th, is when they will have to be out there on the field. I mean, we all know the Saquon Barkley injury is going to be paramount in everybody's eyes, but is there something else that you're really anxious to see? Yeah, I'm going to go with the offensive line. I know the Giants are very positive about the talent they have, but we still don't know yet who's going to be the starting right guard. We're not 100% certain that Matt Parrick is going to be the starting right tackle. It looks like that that's how that's going. We don't know, you know, is Shane Lemieux going to be the left guard? Is Will Hernandez going to be the left guard? So that lineup, to me, is the biggest question mark. That's what I'm interested in, in seeing how that comes to fruition, um, how they line it up in uh, the mandatory minicamp and any OTAs if we happen to get to see the OTAs. Because that offensive line, if that line doesn't come together and that line is a problem, then all this other stuff that they put together in the offseason is going to be for naught. Because it all starts in the pit, as you know. And the Giants really need for that offensive line to justify all the encouraging words that Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, and the rest of the, t- the administrators have said about him. Hey, Patty, let's dig into the offensive line a little bit deeper. I think a tackle, we feel like with Andrew Thomas there, Nate Solder there, and of course Matt Parrott, we feel like there's at least some depth there, even if Parrott doesn't develop the way the team hopes. What do you think happens at right guard? I think all of us think Shane Lemieux probably has the advantage at left guard. Uh, do you think Will Hernandez has a really good chance of winning that job? Or do you think it's going to be one of the veterans that they brought in this offseason uh, that might be the safer choice? I'll tell you what, John, I I think that's kind of a tricky one because I know from having watched uh, Will Hernandez's um, social media account, he's been doing some work with uh, Duke Manyweather, who's a noted offensive line uh, trainer. He's been working on the left side and the right side. Now, that said, as we all know, just simply flipping from left to right, regardless if it's guard or tackle, it's not something that can be done overnight. I think you ask any coach, any player, any trainer, they'll say that it takes a lot of reps, it takes time to get comfortable when you're switching from one side to the other. Um, And Will Hernandez has always been, I I believe, a career left guard. That said, Will Hernandez has a very strong work ethic. I think he is working at it. Um, I'd like to think that any residue or leftover symptoms that he might have had from COVID are gone. And we don't know if he did or not. He said he was fine, but you don't know how somebody gets affected by COVID. Um, but I would think the safe choice, if I were to map out the, the uh, depth chart right now, I would say Pencil and Zach Bolton for right guard, but I would not dismiss the possibility of Will Hernandez maybe winning that job, um, you know, if, if he doesn't beat out Shane Lemieux on the left side. What do you think about that competition between Paert and Nate Solder? We've all kind of written Solder off. He opted out last year. Then he decided to come back with a reduction in pay to compete and to fight for a job at the right tackle spot. Do you think he beats Paert out? I I mean, you can't say no. Um, but that said, I think the Giants would really like to go young on that offensive line. You know, uh, Matt Paert didn't play that badly 
uh, last year. You know, I know towards the end of the year he had that ankle issue, I believe, and uh, that cut into some of his snaps. Nate Solder, you know, having not seen him in, in you know since 2019, what kind of condition is he in? And and, he, and also remember, he hadn't played on the right side since I believe his rookie season. So that's going to take some getting used to. You know, going back to the question that you asked me about the guard situation, uh, Nate Solder is a veteran. I know he's going to work at it, but I, I think if you had to pencil in who's going to be the starting right tackle when we get to, um, you know, the mandatory minicamp, I'm going to say you're going to see Parrot in that spot. Interesting, Patty. I want to stick on the offensive side of the ball. How do you think they're going to divvy up these snaps at wide receiver? Now with the addition of Kadarius, Tony, and you have the three guys. Uh, obviously, you have Galladay, who you figure is going to be on the field nearly all the time, and then Shepard and Slayton, who are returning. Oh, that's a great question, John, and that's one that I'm interested in seeing. One thing I will say, uh, last year I think the Giants tried to run a little bit more um, of the 12 personnel in the passing game sure. because they, did, they didn't really have three solid receivers. You know, Sterling Shepard had the injury. Um, Golden Page struggled a little bit there. Um, Darius Slayton was banged up. Now they can run a lot of 11 personnel, and they can do all kinds of neat things. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how they, they move guys around. I think you'll see uh, Kadarius Tony probably working from the slot with Sterling Shepard. Um, you know, maybe we see a double slot uh, type of, of alignment. That would be kind of cool. Um, Kenny Galladay, I think he's going to be a, a primary target. Darius Slayton, you can't forget him. I mean, there's going to be so many options. I don't envy these defensive coordinators the Giants are going to face and trying to figure out, okay, who's going to be the main man uh, this week that we're going to have to shut down. Boy, it's a great problem to have when you have so many options to choose from and you're not sure which guy is going to nose out the rest of them and win the job. So I'm going to flip it to the other side and force you to tell me who the starting edge rushers are going to be because there is a collection of guys there who all want that job. Yeah, there are. And and, uh, I'll tell you what, you got to remember, you've got Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez both coming back from season-ending injuries. Now, Lorenzo's was an Achilles. So the question you have to ask yourself is, does he have that burst? Does he have that quickness? Or is he still kind of working his way back there? That said, I think he will probably be one of the starters. Um, on the other side, wow. Um, I would think Ojolari will probably be the favorite to start there, but I could see them going with a committee. Because if you remember um, some of the Giants' great defenses, the last two that were part of the Super Bowl uh, teams, they had a rotation. You know, they would put in a NASCAR package where suddenly they were throwing out three, four guys. So, you know, when you think of the, the, the pass rush, it's not necessarily going to be just the two outside linebackers and then, oh, Leonard Williams will throw him in there because he's part of that. I think you're going to see Patrick Graham get very creative and just mix and match that personnel, and you're going to see, you know, you're like kind of like the receiving group where you're not going to know where to defend. You're not going to know where the pass rush is coming from because just I can see Patrick Graham coming up with these these schemes where now it looks like, for example, Ojulari's coming out at you, but he drops into coverage, so it's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait to see what they come up with. You know, Patty, and I think, too, when you take a look at it, how do you think they're going to in the secondary 
balance Robinson and Holmes inside? Because I think they're interesting because they're both slot players, clearly, but I do think they're built differently, and I think maybe their strengths might be a little bit different. So how do you think Patrick Adams going to work those two guys inside at that nickel spot, along with guys like Logan Ryan McKinney, who can move inside as well? Yeah, you know, the great thing about what the Giants have done is they have options. And when you have options, you can get so creative with what you do, whether you go with a big nickel, which, as you know, worked so well for the Giants back in 2011 when they won the Super Bowl. Um, You know, now with slot receivers, some of them are getting bigger and bigger. You know, in, in the past, the slot receivers used to be, you know, smaller guys. Well, now teams are wising up and they're putting tight ends and bigger players in the slots. And now with Aaron Robinson, who's, you know, a little bit bigger than Darnay Holmes, who plays big, by the way. I don't want to discount what he does, but you have Aaron Robinson. You've got Xavier McKinney. You've got two nice physical guys who can match up against these bigger slot options that teams are throwing out there. Patty, I want to ask you something a little bit uh, off the beaten path here because you did write the Big 50 about the, the New York Giants history. You'd put a lot of work into that, I know, because we were certainly uh, having conversation as you did it. And George Young just got inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, during the course of, of draft week. And I know this Giants organization was so proud of that fact. I wonder, is there something that you learned about George in writing your book that either enlightened you or really impressed you uh, and, you know, made you feel and understand why he was so deserving of going into the hall? Well, besides the fact that he was just, you know, he, he gave off the demeanor that he was a grouch, but he was really a very caring person. And I think anybody who finds success, in no matter what job they do, it, it starts with having a connection with people. And I think George had that. But one of the things that kind of surprised me, and this was shared by Ernie Acorsi, he said George was often like a, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, you'd walk into his desk and he'd have piles everywhere, and and it'd be like, hey, George, where's that report on player X? And George would go exactly where to go to find that that folder. And and Ernie's like, you know, hey, his desk was like a, you know, a hurricane had gone through it. So the fact that he was able to sort through all the the, the mess, if you will, or the, the organized chaos, I guess is the best word to use for that, and, and find stuff. And that was kind of, I think, when he dealt with players and stuff, he was able to look past some of the stuff, you know, the personality differences, the, the uh, quirks, if you will, and just kind of get past all that stuff and and say, hey, look, you're fit for, for what we want to do. We want to bring you in and um, just work well with you know, I, for the most part, he worked well with uh, Bill Parcells for most of the 80s there. And, you know, the, the championships speak for themselves. You know, Patty, I love what his nephews said when they unveiled the bust and they gave them the uh, crest of the Hall of Fame in that very large display uh, framed plaque uh, that they presented. Uh, when they said they just wanted people to know that George cared. He, and I can tell you this firsthand, he loved the game and the people who were in it. He really did care. And a great example of this, and you know, I'm sure you came across this as well, I remember when the Giants uh, had hired Jim Fossil to be their new head coach in 1997, and they had come off a, a couple of struggling seasons under Dan Reeves, and that first year under Fossil, they wound up winning the NFC East. 
And the last game of the season, George knew he was retiring and he was going to wind up being a vice president of, uh, of football operations for the National Football League. The Giants win that game. They clinch the division, and George goes down onto the field. And I, I would never see George out on the field on game day. That was not something he did. He did not want the spotlight. He wanted the players to enjoy what they had, and he made sure he was in the background on game day. But that day, after the game was over, he walked down onto the field, onto the sideline, and when it was all said and done and people were leaving, he sat on the bench and openly cried because he had felt that he had done justice by bringing the Giants back into the playoffs on his way into the NFL offices. And I just I thought that spoke volumes about the man and how much he cared about the people, the game, and the organization. Yeah, I remember that story, too, and, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, again, a lot of people had an impression of George Young that he was a, a grouch, you know, a guy who really wasn't social. But, you know, I didn't, I unfortunately wasn't there when, you know, he was the GM. I missed him. Um, but the beat writers that were there at the time, they spoke glowingly about him. They used to say how he would come down and, you know, he would shoot the breeze with them and, you know, he, he what do you guys want? And then he would, he would go in and he would give you so much time and he was just so generous with his time and um, just really a tremendous man who knew a lot about football. I mean, Ernie Acorsi couldn't say enough good things about George Young and all the things he learned from him and their friendship and how much it meant, for, meant to him. So I'm kind of sorry that I didn't get to experience that because I think I would have really, really liked George if I had had the opportunity to, you know, interact with him. Well, he, you know, he was a great teacher. I think Joe Judge would have loved him, too, because he was a teacher and a historian and believed in structure and fundamentals. I remember George would always laugh when, whenever there was a fourth and one. He would always say to me, I don't know why they just don't do a quick count and a quarterback sneak. The shortest point between two points is, is just a straight line. And, and, you know, he was just so practical, and he was so funny in so many ways. But I think, Patty, even today, when you think about over the years, all the people he influenced, from Ernie Acorsi, even to Jerry Reese, who had an early successful run with the Giants as a general manager, and a number of the scouts who had been around for some decades, I mean, you could tell that his influence was very, very heavily felt, and that was probably... Uh, another part of the reason why he so much deserved to go to Canton. Absolutely. And I just think it was a sin that it took so long to get him into Canton. I know. I wish he had been, I wish he had been alive to enjoy it. Although probably, you know, and again, this is just me guessing here based on what I know about George, he probably would have been like, yeah, what's the big deal? Exactly. He wouldn't have wanted to go on the stage. Probably not, but you know what? Look, he deserved it. And, and, um, you know, I'm sure he's he's probably looking down and, he, and he's like, ah, what's everybody making a big deal about? But it's long overdue, and I'm glad that that injustice was finally corrected. All right, Patty, before we wrap up here, I got one more for you. How do you look at the NFC East? I think it's a fascinating division. You know, going into last season, I think everyone predicted before the year it was kind of Dallas, Philly, then Giants and Washington, and the division basically got turned on its head with the way the standings concluded. 
And I think going into this year, everyone kind of thinks, all right, Philly's kind of in a little bit of a rebuild. They probably the least chance of winning. Then you have the other three teams that are all of different strengths and weaknesses and are all kind of in the mix there. How do you view this NFC East this year and where the Giants kind of fit in in that dynamic? Well, I'm hoping that it's going to be a lot more competitive. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, we can't have the winner being a six and ten, or you know, having a record under 500. But that said, um, I really like what Washington has done under Ron Rivera. I mean, they've got a really good, and in my opinion, an underrated defense. I mean, that unit is something to be reckoned with. Um, down in Dallas, if I'm not mistaken, I think they just they have a new defensive coordinator down there. Yep. So how quickly they come together. You know, a lot, of, a lot of focus has been on Dak Prescott and signing a long-term deal. Well, great. That's wonderful for them. But their defense last year was historically bad. And, you know, I think Dan Quinn's their, their new um, defensive coordinator. But So can they fix that? That's the big question there. And as you mentioned, the Eagles are kind of, you know, in between, you know, in, in that rebuild mode. The team I think to watch, and I'm not just saying this because I cover them, is I would say watch the Giants because I think they, if everything falls into place, they can actually surprise a few people. And if it comes down to Washington and the Giants for the for the division title, I would not be surprised because those are two up-and-coming teams. Now, obviously, things like injuries can derail the season. We all have seen that happen before. Um, and then, like I said, there are still a few question marks. They've got to settle that offensive line alignment. You know, is Daniel Jones going to take that next big step? Is the defense going to be, you know, as good, if not better than last year? So there are still things that still need to be worked out. But if everything falls into place, I think it could come down to Washington and the Giants as being the two that slug it out for the NFC East title. Patty, good stuff. Great to hear from you. Tell the folks where they can find you, your work, uh, where you're writing now, your book, all that's good stuff. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me on. You can find me on Twitter at Patricia underscore Traina, T-R-A-I-N-A. My book is uh, The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the New York Giants. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your books. And you can find my daily writing. I work uh, over with the SI Giants uh page it's called giants country so you can find it there and of course i host the lost on giants podcast which runs monday through friday patty good stuff we appreciate the time today have a good day patty thank you that's patty trainer we appreciate her joining us today on big blue kickoff live and paul good stuff from patty there as always it's always good to have her on the show and now we're going to open up the phone calls in 973-667-1960 let's get vaccinated folks go to covid19.nj.gov slash vaccine to register Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Paul, your takeaways there. Well, you know, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to Patty about was the Giants uh, contract situations as we started the interview because... You know, I, I have been saying for quite a while now, I'd like to see them add a veteran running back to the mix. Now, I didn't expect that they would have much money to do it. I did not expect, however, that it would come in the version of a veteran tryout at rookie camp in Corey Clement. I, I, I just, no, that name never came to my mind as, as we got through the draft and they did not pick up a, quote, running back. I know... I know they did draft one later on for special teams purposes, but a, quote, running back, an experienced guy 
who could potentially take some carries if Barkley is not all the way back. Clement just never came into the picture for me. So when we suddenly found out that him and then Calvin Benjamin out of nowhere are coming in to try out at the rookie camp, I, I got to tell you, John, I, I did a double take. I was like, whoa, really? These guys, these two guys are coming in? And then to find out, you know, a day later after it's done that they signed and they're bringing them to training camp, yeah, I I was really caught off guard by that. But, again, understanding they don't have much room to work with, they were going to need an economically friendly solution to what they were looking for. No question. All right, Paul, let's go to the calls in 973-667-1960. Call, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Marty from Manahawkin. Go ahead, Marty. Hi, Marty. Hey, how you doing, Paul? Hey, I heard through the grapevine that the reason George Young was crying on the bench was that he realized he wasn't going to be able to sit with Paul anymore in the press box on weekends. <laughs> so tears of joy? <laughs> Actually, nah. you, you know, the funny part about it was that was the year before because – See, the 97 season ends, and he knows he's going to the NFL, so it was the 98 season that he actually had to sit with me. So the tears were probably over the potential that he would have to visit me in the box. Little did he know that Hanlon was going to put him in the next seat. This poor guy. I mean, I'm, I'm just surprised he didn't hop on a plane and leave the country. <laughs> nah, he was a good man. He was good a great man. man. Uh, I just wanted to ask you a quick uh, question. Uh, do you think it might have been uh, worth taking a flyer on Ryan Kerrigan uh, being out there? Uh, you know, he's al- he's always caused uh, chaos against us. Uh, maybe uh, be nice to have him on our side and cause chaos somewhere else. You know, I don't know how how much he's got left in the tank. Now, I I did see he went to the Eagles. Did he not? Yeah, I did see that. You know, and so obviously they felt they knew enough about him over the years being in the same division that, uh, you know, he could give them something. Look, Kerrigan, earlier in his career, was a real thorn in the Giants' side. I don't think you need me to tell you that. He just seemed to make big plays against Big Blue. And it wasn't even that he would have, you know, nine tackles and, and three sacks. No, it wasn't that he would dominate the whole game. He would just make the key play at the key moment that would break your heart or throw a gut punch into your plans. So he was a, a, a very um, agitating player, if you will, on the other side of the line of scrimmage for the Giants. But again, I think over the course of the last two or three years, he's been much more quiet, shall we say. I haven't seen those flashes of key clutch big plays out of him as much. And is that because he really is long in the tooth and doesn't have much left? Or is it because other guys on the the Washington football team just stepped up and they started making plays instead of him? I don't know that I have an answer for you, but um, you know he's going to be with the Eagles now, and I guess we will find out. I do know this: the Giants have so many edge rushers. As we talked to uh, Patty Trainer, our guest, they have so many edge rushers right now in the room. I mean, could you be confident that he would have beaten any of those guys out? I don't know. That's uh, you know, it's uh, that that's that's a question that well, I guess we'll never get to see now. But the only thing I can remember about him is every time, uh, for some reason, every time he left his feet and jumped up in the air, he came down with the ball for some reason. 
he he really gave the Giants fits. But now, see, I, I just called up his numbers, and and it kind of is an indication of what I was talking about. In each of the last two seasons, he's had five and a half sacks, okay? But prior to that, had three consecutive double-digit sack years, right? 11 and yeah. 16, 13 and 17, 13 and 18, made the Pro Bowl all three years, and then all of a sudden... Not only did his sack numbers go down, but his tackle numbers went down significantly too. And, you yeah. know, so did his quarterback hits, his tackles for a loss. Across the board over the last two seasons, his numbers have diminished. And, you know, he's 32 now. Um, at some point in time, you know, Father Time does start tugging at your jersey. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, so, you know, if you're the Giants, and I'll ask you to be Dave Gettleman for a second, do you value a 32-year-old guy who was an edge rusher who has had two years of diminished returns, do you value his potential more than the young guys you have, all right, albeit coming off of injury, in Carter, in Zimenez, and Odenabo, who you just signed off of the Vikings team, now he doesn't have nearly as many sacks on his resume as Kerrigan does, but this guy is a young veteran who is healthy and has shown that you know he can do some things on the field. And I'm not even talking about some of the other young guys who are also going to be in that competition. And then you go and you draft you know, Smith and Ojolari. Is there really much room to take a gamble on a Kerrigan? No, I don't know. It's... Uh... You know, the thing that I think about is we haven't seen much from uh, X-Man and uh, uh, Carter. You know, we still don't know, really. The jury, I think, is still out on them. Uh, I think it has to be. You're right. I I think those guys right now, it's a show-me situation. Yeah, I think the jury, I think the uh, dark horse, the guy that might really come out of nowhere that might surprise us might be the the guy they brought in from Minnesota, uh, Odenabo. Mm-hmm. He, he is very intriguing to me. I'm, I'm not going to lie, because when he was a Robin on the, uh, the Vikings defensive front, he got some things done. And then when they didn't have enough of guys to, to, to you know, kind of put teeth into that pass rush, they asked him to be Batman. And he had trouble being Batman. You know, he could not handle the double teams. Uh, he also fought, uh, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he also uh, had to battle some illness there for a while last year. So I don't know if, if that was something that sucked his physical prowess away. But, yeah. you know, last year was a disappointment for him. I'm sure he would say that. Now, you know, is he looking for a bounce back year? Yeah. Are the Giants looking for one? Yeah. But, see, they don't need him to be Batman. They, they would like him to be a Robin. And, you know, sometimes when you're asking a, a doubles hitter, to hit home runs, it really screws up his swing, if I can use a baseball analogy. So maybe now that they ask him to play within himself, maybe he can get back to being the productive guy he was a couple of years ago. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope everything... I hope so, uh, too. You know, Gettleman said, uh, I I might add this, uh, Gettleman said that he thinks that Odenimo can play some inside, too. You know, which would give you another one of those NASCAR packages that we, we used to know so many years ago. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, okay, well, Paul, thanks for the info, and uh, talk to you again. All right, well, thank, thank you, you so much for calling. You know, I think the edge rusher is interesting, Paul, because I really think it's really 
for all these guys, it's a prove-it situation, right? I mean, mm-hmm. do they have anybody that we know exactly what they're going to give you? I think the closest guy was Lorenzo Carter, right? But coming off an Achilles, I think that becomes a question. We don't know. Zimenez hasn't done anything yet, and, and that's not taking a shot at Zimenez. He just, you know, was hurt in his second year. In his first year, he's a rookie coming out of Old Dominion. I mean, how much can you expect from the kid? You know sure. what I mean? So, sure. Odenabo, he's had one year where he was an effective, you know, sack guy, mm-hmm. and there in that year he rushed more inside than he did outside. And Dave Gunwin mentioned he's going to use him that way this year. Ryan Anderson's had some flashes, but nothing special. Cam Brown and Carter Coffin are going into their second year after playing sparingly on defense as rookies. Then you have the two rookies this year, one from Northern Iowa who didn't play in 2020. He looks the part, but come on. I mean, how much can you expect out of him in year one? And then you have Ojolari, who was a second-round pick, who I think you know people rightfully have high hopes for. So this, to me, Paul, and all the years we've been doing this, and you've been doing it longer than I have, there is not much more of a wide-open competition between the volume of players that are there that I've seen anywhere besides edge rusher this year for the Giants. Yeah, I would agree. I do think, though, that there's some optimism that at least a few of these guys will produce some dividends. Uh, You know, there have been times when you looked at a position and you saw four or five guys in competition and said, I don't know that any one of these guys is the answer. I do think you probably are going to have potential answers out of this group. And for me, and, and John, you, you may or may not see it the same way, I almost think that, that Ellerson Smith is like a redshirt guy. I almost think he's like in the same position that Parrott was this past year on the offensive line. If he gets a few snaps, great. But I think going in, I think of him as a pro redshirt. I think you have to look at it that way, don't you? I do. I mean, he's coming out of... I mean, look, Northern Iowa is a lower competition level than UConn, right? UConn wasn't Power 5 either, but Northern Iowa is a level below that. Frankly, way below that. And and look, me and you work FCS. We know how good the competition is there, but it's not UConn, okay? It's just not. So (laughs) he hasn't played this year. He's a kid that, you know, went from being basically a wide receiver to a pass rusher during his time in Northern Iowa. So, yeah, to me, this is a purely developmental year from Ellerson Smith. You know, if maybe in the second half of the season you get some situational snaps for him, the same way we saw some situational snaps for Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown in the second half of the year last year, I think that's pretty much what you're looking at, right? Yeah, I I certainly see it that way. And the interesting part about this is that, you know, between Anderson, Zimenez, Brown, Adenabo, and Ojolari. That's five guys right there that can fight it out, and you think you're going to have a winner out of that group. I don't know that you have to get something out of Smith this year. They've got the luxury of saying, we can redshirt him. And in the meantime, I'm kind of curious as to whether or not even Carter Coughlin or Lorenzo Carter may, may wind up taking some snaps on the interior. They may just say, you know what, we've got so many guys working on the edge, let's see what these two guys can do on the inside. And that would not be unlike Patrick Graham to mix things up like that either. No question. He said Odenable can be there too. So, yeah, it'll be fascinating. Patrick Graham has a ton of movable pieces all over this defense, Paul, from the edge rushers to the interior defensive line even. You know, you can move Dexter Lawrence to nose tackle to three technique. Williams can go to end to... 
uh, end in the three four, maybe even some end in the four in 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 a four man front to the three technique. Then you have I you know we talked to Patty about it. Those two different guys inside in the nickel spot with Holmes and Robinson. All those safeties that can play multiple positions. So go down the list. He's got movable pieces, Paul, all over the place, and it'll be fascinating to see how he decides to utilize all of them. Let's go back to the phones at nine seven three six six seven nineteen sixty. Cole, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, Len from Columbia, Maryland. Hi, Len. Len, hey, hello. How, how you doing? How you doing? Oh, good. Listen, how are you? Um, good, good, good. Listen, first of all, um, th- thanks for having Trainer on. I'm a fan. Um, she always has a well-reasoned take on things. Uh, Paul, first question, were you surprised by her answer uh, regarded the worry spot in her mind when she said offensive line? Were you surprised at that, Paul? Well, no, because to be honest, as you've heard me preach on this program several times, the, the offensive line is one of the three potential Achilles heels that, that I see. So right. I think, you know, it's certainly relevant to bring that up when, when the question is asked. Right, right. Why wouldn't it be? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, uh, but for her to say that first, I guess is what I was referring to. Oh, um, well... I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's fair. You, you know the problem with this, Len? Yeah, All go. three of the potential Achilles, as I've listed them, that would be, just for those who may not have heard it, the internal improvement of the offensive line, the full or next-to-full rehab of Saquon Barkley as your primary ball carrier, um, and obviously the continued improvement of Daniel Jones. Those are the three things that if if I had to say – you know, what could possibly sidetrack this team? It would be one of those three things. I think the truth is, for me, I don't know that that I have a ranking. I think if I had to, somebody pin me up against a wall and say, rank it. (laughs) I think I'm, Glenn, I'm probably more concerned about the running back spot. Now, I know they just signed Corey Clement. He wasn't exactly on my radar, as you know. Yeah. I think that that is my bigger worry. I think I have more confidence in Jones and the line than I do right now about Barkley's comeback, but that's only because I don't have a medical degree and I'm not privy right. to what's going on with his rehab. Yeah, you know, uh, guys, it, it would be hard to draw a line through any of the four that Paul just mentioned. Um, but let me, let me throw three, another one three. out there. It's not, not four, not it's only three. Not in an attempt to replace... Not in, a, in an attempt to replace any of, any of your concerns, Paul, but I, I tell you what really scares me, and I, I was interested in your take regarding Carter perhaps moving inside, inside linebacker, and I, I, just, I, I, I just I have nightmares if I think about Martinez getting hurt. I, I mean, we're really short inside. Someone is going to have to come through in there. Um, that could turn out to be... Uh, just, just a major weakness. If, if God forbid, something happens to Martinez. Well, um, you know, Reggie Ragland was brought in as an experienced veteran, as a backup. Okay, albeit yeah. you're right, he was not brought in as a starter, but he's got some experience in this league, and you know he would be a stopgap guy if they had to go to him. We don't know if Devontae Downs is going to be able to to win a competition for a roster spot or oh not. Yeah. I would agree with you that I would not be very comfortable if he did. Tay Crowder is going to be in there. Yeah. I think we like Tay Crowder, don't you? Yeah, I do like Crowder. I think he had 
you know, you there's. I mean, you have to think positive. He had a, he had a nice rookie season. I mean, you know, 256 the guy picked in the draft. I mean, come on, you know. Yeah. Uh, he, the only he problem did. is he's he's more of a sub linebacker than he yes. is a full time starter. I think so. so I think you're right. If Martinez were to get hurt, you know, you're talking about a guy who was a mess, and you know, you count on him for 140 tackles, and that would be a that would be a devastating loss. Yes, it would. But yeah, you know. Look, well, stay healthy. I mean, well, stay healthy, and yeah, you, and yeah, you know healthy. as well as hey. I do, though, that Patrick Graham is is able to move pieces around, and as we just said, Carter might be in there. Uh, Lorenzo Carter himself might wind up playing inside this year. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And I'll say yeah. that too. I think the biggest loss there, Len, if you do lose Blake, I think your big loss there is probably his ability to play zone defense. I know a lot of people okay. worried about his coverage coming in and man-to-man. Yeah. I, I understand yeah. why they well, were. Crowder would do yeah. it, John. Oh, yeah. I know he would, but he doesn't have the mental acuity to be always in the right spot and yeah, do yeah. those passing angles like Blake Martinez does. I agree. Uh, I, uh, actually, John, I hadn't really thought about that, the uh, the effect on what, what defense they would play down to down if Martinez wasn't in, that, in on that. I just keep thinking, you know, in a 3-4 defense, that nose tackle takes up some blockers, and here comes Blake Martinez with 140 tackles. <laughs> and I don't know that we have anybody on the roster no, now. I, I would agree with that. Near that. No, yeah. Absolutely. Hey, can I, let, me, let me say something about Benjamin. Sure. You know, I, I kind of like that signing, but maybe for a little different reason. I mean, you bring the guy in, you see what he can do, and you know what? It may turn out at 245 pounds that the skill set of Benjamin at tight end resembles Ingram, and here we go again. With he, he may not even make the roster, but maybe he's out. Benjamin is out there, and if something happens to Evan, God forbid again, you, you know you got to you don't have to rip pages out of the playbook. You, if he can, if he can run the kinds of plays that Ingram ran, if something happened to Ingram, Len, I so don't want to like cut you signing. off, but I, I think like, I think I have to here because if you've seen Kelvin Benjamin run lately. In fact, even during his latter stages in the NFL before he got out of the league, he's not very fleet of foot. And I will add this, Len, very quickly. Just and and I don't expect you to know this, but just how I'll approach it. Do you know what Kelvin Benjamin ran is his forty yard dash at the combine? At at his original at the his original No, I don't, John. He ran a four six one. And that was at around, what, 215, 220 pounds? And how many years ago? And now he's 245 pounds and five or six years older. So yeah. he is not he, – he, let me put it this way. He can't run like Evan Ingram can. Well, I'll leave got, it at that. But, but John, uh, the point is, and I know we're, you know we're talking hypothetical here with regard to injuries, but if some, even for a game or two, what, what, what do you – I mean, who on this roster – who on this roster can run the, can run the plays that – that Evan runs. I honestly, you want to laugh, Len, and you can. And Charlie's probably going to call up and say, "Ah, I mentioned his name the other day." Who is it? Ryzen John. <laughs> you want to laugh? All right. You want to? Right. I'm serious. Listen, like you just get to do that, John. No, but just okay. a, just in terms of physical skill set, Paul, isn't he the other guy that could theoretically do it? Yes. All right. I, I, he's got the I, height you know, and he's got the that. athleticism. Hey. Hey, let me let me say something about uh, uh, Ryan Kerrigan came up in in conversation a little earlier. Um, you know, I'm I'm not I'm, I'm a little skeptical of the Ellison Smith um, pick, but there I am with that. But you know what? Um, that's that's a Ryan Ryan Kerrigan type player. You know, uh, let's hope he grows. He grows into the job and. You know he can. You know he can handle. He can handle that. 
You know, in a um, perfect world, Len, the outside edge rushers that they have now will step up and do so well that they can afford to keep Smith as a redshirt pro. That would be the oh, yeah. best-case scenario. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's where he is, and hopefully he grows into something. Um, you know, and I was just thinking, boy, wouldn't it be nice if he if he grew into – you know, could just even stand in, in Kerrigan's shadow because Kerrigan was a darn good football player. I mean, he just, you know. But I, he's probably out of steam. I, I wouldn't have signed him. Um, I was just looking for somebody like uh, Ryan, Ryan Kerrigan. Hey, hey, Paul, let me, you, you had a conversation on Monday. Maybe it was um, Dan who raised the question uh, regarding most important giant win, uh, you know, home win, yeah, uh, well, away win. the most memorable, uh, I think, was the question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Most memorable. Let me let me give you just just a little different kind of a sidebar on this and change the question to most influential Giants win in the history of the NFL. It literally changed the NFL. It's not a loss; it's a victory. Well, you're going to tell me Summerall's field goal. Yeah, Summerall's field goal. Of course, all, that was it, John. That was it, Paulie. Yeah, some old field goal in the snow, 40-plus yeah. yards, and that, that got the Giants into the playoff game. Yeah, it got, got into a playoff game, and then you got the greatest game sure. ever played, if it was, if it was. And the television ratings went up. Uh, new, new league came into being. Pete Rozelle becomes commissioner. Before you know it, you got a merger. Um, you got a Super Bowl starting within a 10-year period of time. You know, and, and, and God bless Pat Summerall, but... You know, if Pat had missed that field goal, we probably never, <laughs> never would have talked about him again. You know? Oh, just, my goodness. Man. I, I'll tell you what, though. Contrary to popular belief, I was not in the press box that day. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you, I was in the opposite end zone in the bleachers, Paul, right behind the goalposts. Of course, the kick was in what Marty Glickman used to call the closed end of Yankee Stadium. Yes. And um, with the snow... It, it took a, a few seconds before you could see the people in the other end standing up and cheering and yelling. And it's finally, three or four seconds later, it finally got to the other end of the stadium because you couldn't tell from where I was sitting with the snow whether the ball went through the uprights or not. And God knows how long that kick was. There's been some estimates, but I don't think anybody really knew how long that was. But that was just just an unbelievable win for a lot of individual peep players, but, man, the league itself, the next 10 years, it's just exploded. Hey, listen, thanks for taking my call. Hey, appreciate it, Len. Appreciate Good it, stuff man. as always, my friend. You know, Paul, I don't know. Maybe it was still early in the offseason, but first of all, let me say, I think the callers are doing a great job still calling in at this point. This is usually our slow period, right, where it starts to slow down a little bit, and I'm serious, <laughs> and, and, the right. call, and the calls have been off the hook. You guys are doing a great job. I want to thank you for that, and I wonder if that's because simply – the enthusiasm is a lot higher based on what we're looking at. You know, the roster's better. The, everyone thinks the team's going to be better. They're excited about the draft picks. They're excited about the free agents. And while at the same time, there are still interesting things here. You know, th this isn't like 2007 going to 2008 where you have exactly who you know what you're going to have at every one of these positions. There are questions as to how you're going to use certain guys, who's going to play more, what your scheme's going to be. You know, I think it's interesting, to be honest with you. know with why, you. John? Because in those years, you had a team that was established. They did what they did, and now you're just trying to do it again and stay on top of the mountain. 
you know, if you're a playoff team, you don't even have to be a Super Bowl team. You could just say, look, we're a playoff team. We're a bona fide, solid postseason contender, and we just want to hold on to that. That's an entirely different equation than a team like this, which has simply got the arrow pointing up, and they're still digging uphill trying to break through to the surface. And that's what makes this particular team, in my opinion, so incredibly fun to talk about. Yeah, I want to use your analogy for a second. Let, let's assume the Giants started this process buried underground, right? They were six feet under. That was when David Gettleman um, drafted mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley, okay? Mm-hmm. That's when this process started. Where do you think they currently are? I would say probably they've gotten their... They're about to their waist or hips right now. So I, I don't think we've quite gotten the legs out from underground yet. I think if you once you get into the playoffs, that, that that's when your legs are out. I think going into last year, they were probably around their chest, right? Or maybe just below their shoulders. Mm-hmm. I, I think probably their legs are still on there, but I think... They're, they're wiggling, they're loosening, and they're ready to pop out. They're just not quite well, there yet. Well, you, you know one of my favorite expressions, the quicksand of mediocrity. Well, yeah, the Giants have climbed out to their waists. They're, they're at their belt level as they try to climb out of that quicksand of mediocrity. And now the question is, can they get to hard ground? They're tugging on that rope. They're pulling. Can they get out to the hard ground, to the land, and pull the rest of their body out? We'll see. And their arms are out, so it makes it easier. This no, is true. No, I, I, like, I'm not even the, – the analogy actually works really well. It does. Because the, the front part of the process is actually the toughest one, right? No doubt. To, to get out of that basement. And they're out of the basement now, and now their arms are out. Now, the problem here with quicksand is that the quicksand can pull you back in real fast. It can. And you if know you don't what, do John? things right. And, and that – look – it's, and they're in the same position. The Giants could slide backwards if things don't go right. Right, and I was about to say that. This is not us being negative Nellies here, folks, but me and Paul can paint plenty of pictures here where we're talking about a six-win team this year. Now, neither of us think that's going to happen. We think they're going to be much improved. But they've been a lot more surprising things in the NFL than, than that, for example, over the past few years, right? We've seen some crazy mm-hmm. things happen. So just kind of the way that, that, that we're viewing this right now. Back to the phones. 973-667-1960. Hey, Giant fans, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets or Giants.com slash suites, excuse me, for more information. All right, Cole, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, guys. Jonathan from Westchester. How are you? Hey, what's going on? Hi. Pleasure to speak with you again. Hey, thanks for calling. You too. And uh, excellent interview, by the way, with Patricia Trena. Patty's great. We love Patty. Yeah. Uh, so one guy who, uh, you know, I don't, I don't hear him talked about very often, wanted to get your thoughts on him, is uh, Sam Beal. Uh, I know the Giants uh, used a third-round pick, you know, supplemental pick on him. Um, and... You know, I'm wondering, you know, he's going to have a real uphill battle to, to make the team this year, but um, what, what are your thoughts on him? Do you think, you think he might surprise people and, uh, and get a roster spot? Look, there's going to be a ton of competition in that secondary. Everybody's going to have to fight for snaps, and it's not just going to come in the preseason games. It's going to come during practice. You're going to have to work your butt off not only on every snap during the practice sessions, 
but during the individual drills, you're going to have to work your butt off in the classroom and make sure you kick tail when it comes time to answer the quizzes and going through the, the, uh, the bookwork and the homework in the secondary room. These guys are going to sort this whole thing out on their own by how they conduct themselves 24-7. Sam Beal has a long way to go because he's got a bunch of new guys in here who are talented and can bring something to the table. If Beal applies himself and does everything he has to do and earns his way through the trees, then he'll win a job. Whether or not it's, it's, it's high on the depth chart, I doubt it. I think he's going to be more depth, if anything, if he even makes the 53, or maybe he winds up to be in a practice squad guy. But I'll say this, it's going to be a hell of a battle. And if he's not in for a steel cage match, then he's not going to win anything. Mm-hmm. I know they have Bradbury and Jackson probably on the outside and Holmes and Robinson on the inside. Do you, do you view Beal more as a guy who could play uh, in the slot or on the outside? He's an outside I mean, guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he opted out last year, but is he is he back back at uh, is he going to be back at camp this He's on the roster. That? I have not heard anything about him or from him, but he is signed on the roster as we speak right now. So I would anticipate that they expect him to be here. Otherwise, they would have taken him off the roster. Right. Yeah, because I, I remember a few years ago, um, I think the Giants said they actually had a second-round grade on him. He's and, got the skills. Know, Look, Carlo, I'm going to be frank with you. He's got the tools to, to play the position. He has the skills and the tools physically to, to have a legitimate chance to be on somebody's roster. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But there's a lot more than just the physical tools that goes into being an NFL player. And certainly one of them is health, and he's had a lot of trouble staying healthy. And I'm not, I'm not talking about last year opting out. I'm talking about the injuries that have sidetracked him earlier. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, excellent. Thank you guys very much. Hey, appreciate the call, man. Good stuff. Yeah, look, Sam Beal's interesting. He has the tools, Paul, but can he stay healthy? He hasn't played for, for a month, so... John, you know what? I hate to say this, but because of the talent and the youth that has been infused into the secondary, his best tool or best road to making a challenge at the 53 might be special teams. If he can go out there and be a demon on special teams, that may be his easiest path. Yeah. I mean, think about it, right? Ebner is, is away with the rugby team at the Olympics. Joe Judge says he's welcome to come back here. We're counting on him coming back after the Olympics. I mean, it basically seems like it's in the bag that he's going to be back. It, it certainly did, okay? But the Giants, we know. We know how Judge values special teams, and we know that going into this season, they've got a couple of guys who are going to be looked upon very, very carefully as they try to you know, get that new crop of leadership on the special teams unit. If somebody like Sam Beal should decide that they're going to take that bull by the horns, maybe that's his best chance to make the team. Yeah, look, it could be. I'm with you, Paul. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us on today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. I am John Schmelke. He is Paul Dettino. And, Paul, I think I might have had a Twitter question 
uh, sure. quickly that I want to get to here. I just got to bring it up here as I navigate. I think I hit the like button on it, so I'm just going to my likes here. And they asked yesterday. I want to make sure we get to them here. Um, here we go. We got a question from Tim. Um, well, that one's a little too complicated. I'll save that for another show. Here we go. Ryan Crawford. We kind of touched on this already. With Kelvin Benjamin being signed, I know it's early. Two questions. How many tight ends do you think the Giants keep? And who would be the odd man out if someone that wasn't on the roster last year gets knocked out, Paul? I don't think the tight end position is exclusive to itself. I truly believe the tight end position and the back end of that roster is going to be determined by what they need to keep at the other positions. For example, if they decide they want to keep an extra receiver, and I could see them keeping six receivers, that's going to affect the tight end spot. How many running backs are you going to keep? No, that the last tight end on this roster is going to be gasping for air trying to win a spot against somebody else who doesn't even play his position. I agree. That's what I that's what I believe. I I don't think it's going to be a battle just inside that room. And I think they keep 4. That would be my guess. 4? Yeah. I think it's going to be 3. Okay. We'll wait and see. It'll be interesting. All right, yeah. Paul, good stuff, my friend. Always good to talk to you, John. We'll see you tomorrow at noon for another episode of Big Week Kickoff Live. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you next time, everybody.